Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active word of God, his two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, March 24th, we're studying Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. As Jesus enters Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, he seeks and saves a rich tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Carl Roth. Pastor Roth serves at Grace Lutheran Church in Elgin, Texas. Pastor Roth, welcome back to Sharp Iron. I'm delighted to be here, Pastor Apple. Are you going to sing for us today? You bet I am. About the wee little man? I wanted to give a shout out to my daughter, Joanna, who's two and a half years old. And she's learning that? Well, yes. Her older siblings have taught it to her, and her favorite part is to yell, Zacchaeus, come down! That's so great. anyway, um, that's great. That's for you, Joanna. All right. So so we get to we get to talk about Zacchaeus, the wee little man made famous by that children's Sunday school song. Let's talk context first. We're in Luke 19. Jesus is almost to Jerusalem. He's been journeying for a while. What do we need to remember as we prepare to look at this part of Luke 19? I mean, part of it, part of what we need to do is actually just maybe scan a little bit of Luke's gospel from earlier parts, because in some sense, this is a culmination story. Um, that tax collectors have been a, a, a feature, um, featured characters, both in events and in parables throughout. So, um, and then there's also Luke's focus on uh, economics. Um, and so one, one thing to maybe keep in the back of our heads is the Beatitudes. First of all, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. So we need to think about how Zacchaeus having been somebody who had obviously enjoyed great financial success, uh, not necessarily honestly either, um, that was not a blessed life. And so he really did need to become poor in spirit and repentant and recognize his sin and his need for a savior. So that's that's a starting point. Mm. Then we think back to Luke 5, where Jesus calls the tax collector named Levi. And that's uh, Matthew, the, his alternate name. And um, Levi receives Jesus into the house. He follows Jesus. And, of course, the Pharisees and the scribes grumble about that, that Jesus is eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. And there Jesus says something very similar to what he says at the end of today's um, lesson, that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So we can think of Lazarus, who's identified as a sinner. And Sorry, I said Lazarus. I don't know why I keep doing that. If I do it again, you know, walk me over the head. Okay. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, uh, Zacchaeus um, would have been, he's identified as a sinner, right, right in this. this um, and so we see then that Jesus is going to be calling him to repentance. That's a really important um, kind of like way of looking at this story because there is one way of reading this story that could be interpreted in kind of like a works righteous sort of way. Hmm. So I, I really want to set the stage there for repentance and the forgiveness of sins is going to be in the background and in the foreground of this story so that we can properly understand Zacchaeus' Zacchaeus's actions after he's with Jesus in his house. 
You, you called this a culmination story, mm-hmm. and I think you're right, and it makes sense because Jesus is about to yes. get to Jerusalem. Right. He set his face there back in chapter 9, and he's yes. been on that journey. And I think, I mean, just to, even within the last chapter, in mm-hmm. chapter 18, there's yep. a number of people that have been setting the stage one way or another for Zacchaeus. But what's I think what's interesting about Zacchaeus, and you've kind of already alluded to this, is that he's he's, what's the right, it's ambiguous at the beginning as to what what's going to happen with Zacchaeus because he is both a tax collector and he is rich. Mm-hmm. And and within the gospel of Luke, both of those have reputations with Jesus. Tax collectors are those he receives. The rich are those who have the woe spoken to them. And which is it going to be with Zacchaeus? So there's, I think you're right. The culmination of much of Jesus travel narrative comes with Zacchaeus. Yes, I agree. So, yeah, I mean, well, and just to mention a few of those from, from Luke 18, you have the Pharisee and the tax collector. Yes. Right, the parable that Jesus tells. Exactly. You have the yeah. little children that have come to Jesus. You've got the rich ruler. Yep. You've had the blind beggar. How does yep. Zacchaeus line up with some of them? Yeah. Um. um so, you know, it's it's tempting to um, to go back to the rich man and Lazarus. You know, it doesn't actually sure. call it a parable, but I just True. really kind of deliciously like the idea of you know that actually having been Zacchaeus, uh, the the one who went up to the temple. Of course, it's specifically called a parable. So. But, but I mean, I'd like to, I like, again, this is part of the background, right? I like to think of whether or not this had happened to Zacchaeus before he met Jesus or he'd been heard, he'd heard John, maybe he'd heard John the Baptist preaching because some of the restoration that he does at the end sounds something that could have been motivated by John the Baptist right. preaching. And so, you know, Zacchaeus could be, you know, like identified as one of those tax collectors who had had pangs of conscience because he realized his extortion had, you know, brought him, made him guilty before God. And so what does that guy do? He goes to the temple and he doesn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beats his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know that that has to be part of Zacchaeus' story at some point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think we can pin it down. I mean, most likely it's when Jesus came to his house, he preached law and gospel to him. But we don't know for sure. How, how does the most immediate text that we read mm-hmm. is the blind beggar, Bartimaeus. How does how does the text of Jesus giving the blind man his sight lead into the account of Zacchaeus? What are some of the connections we might make? Well, there, there, before we, we talk about that, there's a couple of interesting details in that pericope that, first of all, Jesus talks about himself as the son of man okay. when he goes to Jerusalem. And so we're going to get the son of man at the end of this lesson, you know, seeking and saving the lost. How's he going to do that? Well, right. it's going to be going up to Jerusalem to be rejected by the chief priests and scribes and, and delivered over to the Gentiles and mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. Now, another interesting thing is that in in the previous account, the blind beggar calls out and says, Jesus is the son of David. And, and then we end up hearing a son of Abraham oh. is referred to at the end of this. So I think these different titles of Jesus are, are ones that um, could be fleshed out more and, and meditated upon. But at any rate, uh, the blind beggar would have obviously been an outcast in society. And um, he'd be, in some sense, on the opposite spec- opposite end of the spectrum right. of Zacchaeus. And here we do kind of think of the rich man and Lazarus, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then the great yeah. reversal there. Right. So I think having this beggar juxtaposed with this really rich man, um, except we're going to see there's a happy ending to Zacchaeus' right. account, unlike with the rich man and Lazarus. Right, yeah. right, yeah. I mean, here you have a rich man who will end up going through the eye of the needle, which was yeah. impossible earlier, and, and yet here it becomes possible. It, I mean, it, and even just, I was thinking back all the way to where Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem in chapter 9. Mm-hmm. Right after he does that, 
you have different people who come to Jesus and want to follow him and they kind of get a little bit of a reproof from Jesus. You know, I want to follow you wherever. Well, foxes have holes. Son of man has no place to lay his head. Here you have someone who does seek to follow Jesus, but who in repentance and faith actually, he, he gets it. He does. And again, not, not, I don't want to say it in a works righteous way, but, but he gets it where some of the other people throughout this long travel narrative haven't. And I, I mean, I think in many respects, then Zacchaeus does wrap a lot of this up. He's not, Jesus isn't quite to Jerusalem. There's one more text before Palm Sunday. But I, I really, I think a lot of what Luke has been doing in this travel narrative as he's been telling Jesus' story gets summed up in Zacchaeus as a, I don't know, a, an example? To- well, I mean, that's really interesting because if you go back to the middle of Luke 18, you have the rich young man, the ruler, and mm-hmm. you know Jesus actually tells him he needs to sell all of his possessions, right. give them all to the poor, right? And so, but he's not able to, to, to pull the trigger on that because his one thing that he's hung up on is his love of money. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about Zacchaeus is that he ends up keeping half of his wealth, right? Mm-hmm. Or some proportion of that. Right. And so presumably he still would, would have been well off, affluent. And so on some level, and Zacchaeus stays in his vocation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So Jesus doesn't tell him that he has to take up his, well, all Christians have to take up their cross and follow him, but he doesn't literally tell him, uh, like he did with the the apostles, mm-hmm. you know, you need to follow me and leave other things behind. Right. So I, I think that we could probably apply Zacchaeus's example to how Christians live out their lives in vocation. Hmm. All right. Well, that's a, I think it's a good introduction. Let's go ahead and read the text here. Again, we're in Luke 19, beginning at the first verse. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded any one of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's our text for today. That's Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. So let's let's talk a little bit about the setting. Jericho, Jesus is passing through. We've alluded to this already. Where is Jericho? What's, I mean, give us some geography here. It's 25 kilometers northeast of Jerusalem, and it's about... We speak miles the, here. Oh, um, 16. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> at any rate, um, it's also um, way below, it's actually below sea level. Okay. And so, you know, to, to go up to Jerusalem from Jericho is an arduous trip. It might take a couple days, actually, because it's it's not only a long distance, but also about a 4,000 foot incline. Right, right. Um, 1,300 meters. Okay, okay. <laughs> is there anything, you know, just thinking about Jericho, and obviously, I mean, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. We know that from a long time. It's been repeated several times in this travel narrative. Just the fact that he's in Jericho right now and he's on his way to Jerusalem, it, it brings to my mind the text about the Good Samaritan, which I, he's traveling the other way, I suppose. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. But in that journey, he gets beat up. Mm-hmm. Is there, I don't know, is there any, 
maybe illusion or a reminder of why Jesus is going to Jerusalem and the fact that Jericho to Jerusalem, that was the way that the other guy went and he got beat up. Is there anything there or am I just reaching it? I don't know. I right. can't say. I mean, I like, the, I like the idea of probing that connection some. Um, but, you know, again, Jesus had just said back in Luke 18, um, we're going to go What's up to Jerusalem. Happen? So, I mean, this is, yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you know, you can read Jesus as the good Samaritan who, sure. who ends up being beaten and bloodied at Jerusalem, but um, it I, happens I like regardless it. of the geography, I suppose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So he gets into Jericho. He's passing through, but there's this man named Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector and rich. Tell us a little bit more about the, the idea of tax collector, particularly the chief tax collector. Yeah. So the, this is actually the only place in, in the entire, in all of Greek literature where the term is used, mm. chief tax collector, um, architelones. Um, and um, so this obviously means that he would have been one of the people that communicated with the Roman governors who communicated with Caesar. And so what would happen is the Romans would levy taxes on the different provinces. And then they would delegate, it out, delegate the responsibility for the collection out to um tax collectors. And, and obviously there was a syndicate here at some point because you got him as a chief tax collector. So he's got his minions under him to, right. that he sends out. And right. so, so this probably indicates that Zacchaeus would have been particularly despised. Sure. Um, but anyway, the Romans would say, okay, here's the tax that you need to collect from the people. And you can, you can collect an extra percentage above that, a certain limit. Now, because the Romans really, you know, if you overtax the provinces, you, you run the risk of you know, leading to rebellion and resentment right. and all that. So, you know, you ha so, so this was actually something the Roman emperors uh, would, would send de uh, delegates out to kind of like make sure that the tax collectors were not extort mm -hmm. extorting. But, you know, there's always wiggle room. Sure. And so someone like Zacchaeus would have, um, you know, taken an, maybe in a little extra cut. Right. And, and we, he alludes to that a little bit later, that if he's extorted anyone. Um, so, so that's the background there. Sure. And then on, t but as we've said, the fact that he's a tax collector in terms of the way that he relates to Jesus puts him in perhaps a more positive position. Certainly the, the general population, the Pharisees, they looked down upon tax collectors, they despised them, but Jesus has been hanging out with tax right. collectors. Right. And so even, I mean, so that the fact that he's the chief tax collector if you're looking at it through that lens, mm -hmm. you start to be a little more well-disposed towards Zacchaeus, perhaps, and think, okay, here's someone that Jesus is going to want to eat with, someone mm -hmm. who will receive the good news of Jesus. But then, and we've talked a little bit about this, you also find out that he's rich, mm -hmm. and Jesus has had the opposite things to say about those who are rich. So tell us about that side of Zacchaeus. Yeah, I'm, I mean, St. Luke has already, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, set the stage for... A, you know, kind of a, a positive expectation for the story because you have the Pharisee and the, ta uh, the, the tax collector and the Pharisee at the temple. Uh, the one goes home justified, the other one doesn't. You also can go back to Luke 15 with the right. famous parables mm -hmm. of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and we call him the prodigal son, but I think he's really the lost son. <laughs> um, right. Right. And, and, and um, so the son of man is going to seek and to save the lost. That, of course, is what we, we hear about with Zacchaeus. So I think, and at the beginning of Luke 15, it was the, scribe, the scribes and Pharisees were grumbling because Jesus was mm -hmm. eating with tax collectors and sinners. So, um, so the key there is that Jesus is, you know, has compassion, right? right? He didn't come to save those who are healthy, but those who are sick. And so he knows, though, that Zacchaeus has a sickness, mm -hmm. and that is he—he he definitely is, you know, um, 
probably a lover of money and also an extortionist. Right. Right. What's the problem with the, the richness? I mean, the, the money. I know, again, I know Luke has reminded of this through the teaching of Jesus, but why, why is the fact that he's rich perhaps the, the stumbling block to someone who otherwise would be well disposed toward Jesus? Well, back in Luke 12, Jesus had told the parable of the, um, um, the guy who you know, said, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, got all my stuff stored up, and then he's the rich fool, right? right. Comes to him and says, you've st- stored up treasures you know, here on earth, but you have to be rich in God in order to be saved. And so don't be a, so, so we have that. Um, you, you know, we, we can't say for sure what's in, in the heart of Zacchaeus, but, I mean, we do know that he's, in order to have gotten as rich as he did, he had to have cut some corners and must have valued his wealth. Um, and so what Jesus wants to do is call him from that foolishness of storing up his treasures on earth and then finding the true treasures and then also using the wealth that he had to make restitution as well as to do good for others. Right, right. And I mean, Jesus has been warning against the dangers of riches, not just in the parable that you mentioned in oh, yeah. Luke 12, but we talked about Lazarus and the rich man. That was mm-hmm. another thing. And then in just the previous chapter, that rich ruler, yep. that rich young man who came to Jesus, and it was just too much for him yep. to sell everything. So Zacchaeus is in that state. By verse two, you're not sure which way this is going to fall. Then you get to verse three. He's interested in Jesus. He's seeking to see who Jesus was. This is that was a popular term mm-hmm. among some the seeker seekers services and things like that. So right? Zacchaeus is a seeker of of Jesus. What I mean, how what's going on with with Zacchaeus? What do we know so far about why he wants to see Jesus? Well, I mean, you know, you could read it just in a very straight way and say, well, he he'd heard about Jesus. He was you know a famous rabbi and he was coming to town. And so kind of like when a famous political figure comes to town. People don't run up in front and kind of like stand in front of them, but they might stand up on you know their their porches or something like that so they can see him coming by. So he could have just been curious about who this guy was. Right. However, if he had heard stories about the, the miracles of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, then he very well might have wanted to um, you know see who this guy is, what he's all about, and, and maybe have an encounter with him. Right, right. And we, I mean, you know, there's, there are theological problems with seeker services, but the fact that he is seeking to see Jesus is something that should be commended. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what do the scriptures teach about Jesus being, or seeking after Jesus? Yeah. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is the kingdom always comes in Jesus. Right. And then everything else is added to you. Right. And while he may be found, I think that, you know, I mean, that's Isaiah, seek the Lord while he may, mm-hmm. may, may be found. This is constantly the call of the prophets is to seek after the Lord right. and his ways now while he's there. I mean, in the background, of course, theologically, we always know it's the Lord who seeks us out and finds us. Right. But he does it through means and he does it through our, our conscience and knowledge. And so once we have that knowledge, then the Lord expects us to put it into practice. Mm. Right. And, and, and actually, this, this text here in Luke 19 makes that turn for us, that Zacchaeus, yes, he is seeking, but by the end of the text, and we'll, we'll get there, Jesus is the one who's doing the seeking. Yep. So, But again, this is not a bad thing that Zacchaeus is seeking to see Jesus, but he's short. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hilarious, right? I mean, I was thinking about this on the, on the way drive over, and of course, he's the wee little man, which yeah, we don't right. use that term very often anymore. But, you know, I mean... It, it's you can laugh about it, but I mean, there are people that have you know it can be a handicap, right? It can be something that, and you and I, you know, we're we're both we're fairly tall, tall yeah. right? 
Um, but it, it is a very peculiar detail, but it, it sets the stage from climbing the sure. tree, which is so memorable. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, it's just the fact that he's he's short. And again, that like you said, it, it may seem kind of silly, but you think about the people that I mean, Jesus comes for the ones that get overlooked. Yeah. And Zacchaeus quite literally would get overlooked. You just literally overlooked. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, it fits. It, it fits that he's small of stature, very memorable. He's short. Bless his heart. <laughs> but then he, he runs. Now, this is a detail. Maybe we, we would skip over, but this is significant. Why is, it, is Zacchaeus running? What does that indicate? Well, I mean, Aristotle famously said that great men don't run in public. And so back in the parable of the prodigal son, the right. father runs out to meet his son. And this, this would have been a self-abasement, a humiliation. And so you know, what's commendable about this is, is Zacchaeus' zeal to see Jesus is so great that he doesn't care what people think. Right, right. Is it is this the, and I don't, um, I'll put you on the spot. Is this the same thing that the shepherds do when they get the news? Is it, do you know if it's the same verb? They, they, they go to see Jesus with haste. I know. I don't right. know if they, I don't know if they run, but it, it's, yeah. it's maybe memorable of, of that, that you've got other people who are excited to yeah. see Jesus. Right. Zacchaeus right. lines up with them. Exactly. Okay, so he, he runs to see Jesus. He climbs up in the sycamore tree. Is there anything to the particular type of tree? I, mean, I doubt it. Um, I mean, it, again, another peculiar yeah. detail. You do get one, you know, really interesting Old Testament kind of like echo, and that is that uh, Amos was a dresser of sycamore figs. Right. What that means is that you go up and you actually rub the figs to try to speed up the ripening process, and evidently that's still done today. Okay. Yeah. Is this, I mean, you know, the fact that you do get these, these details, you know, Zacchaeus's name, you know, his particular occupation, that he's a chief tax collector, that he's short, that it was a sycamore tree that he climbed. Is this perhaps an indication that, you know, I mean, we know Luke did his research. Could Luke have, and this is speculation, but this, this account reminds me of some of the others that have the, the touch of an eyewitness having talked yeah, to Luke. I agree. I was going to bring that up earlier. It's well, it's you know, true to life, right? I mean, and and it, it if you were making this stuff up, why would you include such strange details? Now, of course, that's not, that's not a you know a positive argument, but it is nonetheless something to look out for when you're reading the New Testament. Is when you see things that just seem kind of odd and out of place. Those are the sort of details that do um, bring to mind the po- likelihood, I guess you'd say, of an eyewitness. Hmm. We didn't mention this also either. Uh, Zacchaeus's name, you know what it means? No, what is, I was going to ask you, but I wasn't sure if you knew. So, <laughs> pure, really? Yeah, which is strange. I mean, be, I mean, he does. I guess at the end, he is pure, but I mean, yeah. at the beginning, he's not. Because, sure. So okay, all right. Yeah. I mean, anytime you have a name of a, of someone in scripture, that's a you know, pay attention to that. Yeah. So Zacchaeus, a a pure man. It doesn't look very. He doesn't look very pure right, right now. But he's he's getting there. The Lord is is seeking him. So okay, he's he's the chief tax collector. He's rich. He wants to see Jesus. Too short. This is. I mean, just the the scene here. There's a there's a crowd. I mean, how where Jesus has drawn crowds all along. Is this kind of the build up into Palm Sunday with the crowds that are coming with him? He's starting to gather some of this. Is it that does the have that feel to it, doesn't it? But but I mean, look at what he does. I mean, he's you know. He stops and, okay. and he said to him, Zacchaeus, what? How in the world does he know his name? So this is one of those great details about, you know, how Jesus knows when they're grumbling about him and stuff right. like that. But I think, you know, this this has, to me, kind of a, um, not exactly baptismal echoes, but I mean, it is true that, you know, it's when the Lord 
calls us by name that we can then respond to him. We love because he first loved us. We can speak to him because he has first spoken to us. Right. Okay. So he calls to Zacchaeus, knows his name. And this is, I mean, it's just even striking and put yourself in the crowd or with Jesus disciples that he stops all of the sudden, you know, I mean, go back to the, I forget which chapter it is, but where the woman with the issue of blood touches him and Mm -hmm. he stops suddenly and the disciples are thinking what's going on. Right. Similar moment of surprise. I would think from the crowd here, Jesus stops, he looks up in the tree Again, that would be some, why, why are you looking up in the tree, Jesus? Yeah. There's Zacchaeus and he addresses him. What is, what is, this is, there's not a whole lot of words of Jesus in here in this text, but these are some of them. What does Jesus say? Well, I, I did want to mention briefly in the, in the previous pericope about the, the blind beggar, the, the disciples in front of him who were part of the crowd told the guy just to be silent. Mm. And, and so Jesus stops and commands him to be brought to him. So there is some, it seems like it would be fun to, to go through and check out all the times Jesus stops, because this shows he's very, being very intentional about something. Mm-hmm. And this is an important scene. So Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for, I must stay at your house today. Um, okay. There's a lot, a lot to unpack here. First of all, um, the, uh, the Greek here is this, this must is uh, dei, uh, which is, which is a, a verb that means it is necessary. It must happen. And this is used not only in Luke's gospel, but throughout the New Testament to indicate things that God had planned out that must happen. And so Jesus said back in Luke 4, you know, it is necessary for me to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. In Luke 9, the Son of Man, it is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected. And so on and so forth. And then even after after his, um, well, there's there's a, um, narr- one narrative that, that does connect with him going t- into a house is the Emmaus account in Luke 24. And there's also, in Luke 24, three, three separate times where that it is necessary um, fra- word is used. So, so we can see this is something that's part of God's plan, um, and that word is tightly connected with the passion of Jesus um, and the, uh, the fulfillment of the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. So... It was necessary that Jesus stop and visit this man in his house so that he could show that he is the one who came to seek and to save the lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, very strong, striking language. I want to talk more about that, but we'll do that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharp Iron here on KFUO. We're looking at the beginning of Luke 19 with Pastor Carl Roth. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, March 24th. We're studying Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10 with Pastor Carl Roth. He serves at Grace Lutheran Church in Elgin, Texas. Pastor Roth, prior to the break, we were talking about Jesus' first words to Zacchaeus. He stops 
and he tells Zacchaeus in very strong language, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. And you pointed out that word in English, must, is, goes back to a Greek word, it is necessary. We've encountered that several times in the Gospel of Luke, and you pointed out it's throughout the Gospels and I think in the book of Acts as well, when Jesus talks about his own passion, it's necessary that these things take place. Mm-hmm. Same Same word here. But slight, and I think it's related to that, but slightly different context. Here it's not, I have to go to the cross, but I have to come to your house, Zacchaeus. That, and maybe this is the connection we can make, that what Jesus is about to do out of divine necessity in Jerusalem comes now to Zacchaeus personally. This is God's desire and will, is mm-hmm. to bring those benefits of the cross to Zacchaeus here and now. Yeah, what you're making me think of is John 6, uh, where Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. What is the will of God for the world? It is that all should come to know the truth and be converted to Christ uh, and have repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So this is God's will for the world. And it's necessary that this visitation occur in which the gospel is preached. Um, And so this ties in nicely with the missionary work of the church, evangelism, um, it's necessary to go out into the world and s- reveal to people that they've been chosen by God in Christ. Mm, right. And, and just that, that thought that this is, this is God's will for sinners. Very recently in the three-year lectionary, we heard from the end of chapter 13 in Luke's gospel where Jesus laments over Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how, how he willed, yeah. he, he wanted to right. gather Jerusalem, but they didn't want that. Right. And and here, you know, it's a positive outcome here, but it is that same will that's being being expressed. Yes. That Jesus wants this. He, it, this must happen. This is the whole purpose mm-hmm. that Jesus came, which is very, very good news for us sinners. That I mean, I is it do you think it, it would be fair for us to to think of our own names in this? You mentioned baptismal language here. That every time we hear the gospel preached, this is Jesus saying to us, I must come to you and, and bring you this good news today. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so this is, you know, and, and just the, the urgency of Jesus here as well. You know, here's, you know, put yourself in Zacchaeus' shoes. He's curious. He wants to know more about this Jesus. He's heard some things. Maybe he heard the preaching of John. And he's, you know, he's a, well, a seeker. <laughs> But Jesus has this great urgency all of a yeah. sudden. What a, what a surprise that must have been. Yeah, definitely. And it does remind us that we should be hurrying and rushing to gladly hear and learn God's word. Um, as sinners, we get lethargic, and it's kind of like you know, prayer and, and study of the word on a daily basis is something that we tend to push off. But mm-hmm. you know, really, the reason the catechism puts the prayers as the first thing you do in the day is so that we can start off our day on the right footing, namely mm-hmm. as a child of God. And I also think of how Luther says... Uh, somewhere that uh, we should be glad to run a hundred miles in order to do private confession and absolution. Mm. It's not a necessity. Well, it's not like a requirement, a legal requirement. But I mean, to be able to cast our burden of sin onto Christ and receive his righteousness in exchange through confession and absolution is something that we should be hurrying to. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, to see... Maybe is it in is it John fifteen where Jesus says that he's talking to his disciples in the upper room and says he's he's saying these things so that he says my joy may be in you mm-hmm. and that your joy may be full or complete. Yeah. That sounds like what's going on here. Jesus has this joy right and and this necessity to go to Jesus and then that's going to become a necessity, something that that Zacchaeus too will take joy in. Yeah, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
So this Zacchaeus is rejoicing that, that the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, this is mind-blowing, right? The God of all creation, the Son of Man, who is that famous, you know, divine figure from Daniel chapter 7, um, who's the judge of heaven and earth, who's all-powerful, yet comes humbly into this man's home to save him in particular. Yeah. And that's exactly what he does for you. Right. Yeah. And he must do it. I mean, that, yeah. that's just such yeah. a, such a striking thing. It, I, there was a, I, it was a, I believe it was a sermon that Luther preached on the gospel uh, that you brought up about the Emmaus road, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus, after he's risen from the dead and, and I can't quote it precisely, but the effect of, of what he said was, you know, imagine Jesus, then he's got nothing better to do <laughs> than go to these two disciples. <laughs> you know, it's, and it's a similar thing here in Luke 19 I mean, of all the things that he could have done on the way to Jerusalem, he goes to this short tax collector and he says, I have to be with you. Yeah. yeah. What, what a fantastic thing. And That's then, wonderful. I mean, and as you said, how, I mean, this, this really, I think ought to influence when just in going to church in our daily devotions, when we pray with our families, the great joy of, you know, this is Jesus coming to me now. What better thing could there be for me? Right. Exactly. So when your pastor calls you and says, please come to church, I mean, yeah. now this is, that's the joy that, that Jesus has. Well, it's, it's the third commandment, right? The explanation, Luther's explanation, that we're to gladly hear and learn, right? And of yeah. course, you, you can hear that as law. Well, you're not being happy enough about reading, right. you know, receiving it. But the, the point is that the gospel is a joyful thing. Um, and, and so we, re, we rejoice in God through Jesus Christ, yeah, the third commandment. I mean, when we talk about it in in youth confirmation and adult as well, it, it ends up being a lot more about what God does for us than what we do for God. Yes, there is law. Yes, we need to go to church. We have to. You should do this. It, there is a command there. But when you do that, I mean, that's the that is the Lord doing His work for you. Exactly. It's Luther's Ten Commandments. Him on that stanza, he says, "Set aside the work you do, so that God may work in you." Right. Right, and here's here is Jesus doing that work. So Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. And this is, you know, I mean, it's not. This isn't Zacchaeus. Let's let's go aside. Let me say a prayer with you. But he's <laughs> going to actually go to his house. I mean, this is full investment on the part of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, he's he's going to stay at his house. The verb meno is used in a lot of. It's used in the Emmaus account where Jesus stays with them, and then they want him to stay with them longer. Right. It's used in John's Gospel, like. We remain with Jesus, and Jesus remains with the Father, and so on and so forth. Hmm. So then Zacchaeus, he hears the words of the Lord, and he, he does what the Lord does. I mean, this is, you you brought up Levi, Matthew, or from earlier, when Jesus says, follow me, Levi follows. Mm-hmm. Here Zacchaeus has a similar experience. Zacchaeus hurrying him down. Zacchaeus hurries. He comes down, and then he receives him with joy. Talk yeah. a little bit about Zacchaeus's joy here. Yeah, I mean— we're going to hear a little bit later that salvation has come to this man's house. And I, I you know, I guess we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but sal- this, let's just take salvation there to mean that Jesus has come to his house, mm. yeah. right? Where there's forgiveness of sins, there's life and salvation. And so we don't know what's going on within the scene, but Jesus has to be preaching a sermon to him, right? Could it be anything else? Because I mean, he specifically said it is necessary for me to go out and preach. Mm. And he's, you know, I think it's in Mark's gospel where he says that that's the entire reason I came out yeah. is to preach. So it's unthinkable that Jesus would go and just simply share a meal with him without right. preaching. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and that's been the pattern all along with Jesus is that he's taught and he's ate with people together. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's Jesus is not we don't get that sermon recorded no. in the, the red ink, 
but we know that that's what's happening. Yep. We know this is so he goes and then apparently I, I think it's not just Zacchaeus at the house. It sounds like there's maybe others there. Uh, hard to know. I suppose. I mean, I think we just have to because it it's so similar to what we have with the scribes and the Pharisees grumbling. It almost has to be that same sort of group. So this, I mean, it's almost like at least some of the crowd that's following along with Jesus follows or Zacchaeus calls his friends. I mean, so they go to Zacchaeus's house and then you get this reaction. So that, and we've seen this before that when, and it's just a, they here, I suppose it doesn't actually specify who yeah. they, this group grumbles. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Right. So tell us about the reaction to the crowd. Right. So, you know, I mean, it, it's um, it's possible some people, some other people <laughs> thought that maybe they were more important and Jesus should, or they were more pious and Jesus should have come to visit them. So there's that possibility of this kind of jealousy. There's there's that. Um, then others, um, some of the, the Jews probably would have thought that to eat with a man like Zacchaeus was to basically participate with him in his sins. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Pious Jews, especially Pharisees, wouldn't associate with Gentiles, with tax collectors, or with openly wicked Jews, let alone eat with them. So this was a way of becoming defiled. Hmm. And it's also really interesting that in Matthew 18, excommunication leads to the the unrepentant sinner being like a Gentile or tax collector. Now there, of course, it's, it's an actual command of Jesus in his church to practice discipline. And what that really means, though, is that those people are outsiders. Right. And the idea here is the Jews think that they're insiders by by virtue of their bloodline and by their outward obedience to the Torah. Uh, but here, Jesus, this is an enactment of Jesus going out to all nations mm-hmm. and bringing people in, gathering in lost sheep. Right. Well, and, and the people identify, you know, look how Jesus named Zacchaeus in mm-hmm. his words. But now when the crowd talks about Zacchaeus, they call him a man who is a sinner. That's yep. the label that they stick yeah. upon him. Yeah, that's great because... Um, I mean, you know, sinner, 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 right? Right. We tend to label people and, and you know, other them, I guess you'd say. But here Jesus calls them by name. He doesn't right. look at he doesn't look at Zacchaeus as sinner. He looks at him as somebody who is redeemed hmm. by the blood that's going to be shed not not many days hence. Right. Right. So and I think I mean it's almost like what we're witnessing here is the the parable of the lost son, as you, you called it, or the two lost sons, you might say, right, being yeah, played exactly. out in real life. Exactly. We're seeing the older son here. Yeah, yeah, the older brother who takes no joy whatsoever in one who was dead becoming alive and one who was lost becoming found. And that, of course, is the constant uh, temptation for Christians to become self-righteous and prideful. And um, But what what is... You know, in Luke 15, where's their joy over one sinner who repents? There's joy in heaven among the angels over just one sinner who repents. Yeah. What about their their reaction of grumbling? Are there any other, I mean, you know, some of the things we've talked about, we've seen in in Luke's gospel. Are there other reasons that there could be discontent here? I mean, I guess there's just, there's a possible exodus background there because the Israelites grumble about food. And we've got a connection here between a meal and people grumbling. And, you know, we know that grumbling... Uh, in the wilderness was something that the Lord, you know, stridently opposed. And so I think grumbling about anything that is God's will um, is is a bad idea. Hmm. So there's the reaction from the crowd. They're grumbling. Here's this man who's a sinner. What's Jesus doing? Before Jesus has a chance to speak, though, Zacchaeus does. And Zacchaeus stands up and he addresses Jesus. And here's where we, we get Zacchaeus. 
this was, I think you, you mentioned this earlier. We want to make sure we don't understand this as some kind of a works righteousness. Right. So right. tell us what, what's going on with Zacchaeus. How do we understand this rightly? Okay. So um, Zacchaeus says to the Lord, which is always one of those markers for, you know, Jesus' divine nature. Uh, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to my po- give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it for fourfold. So I think what we're, we see going on here is that this man is showing that he's taken to heart the words of Jesus: repent uh, and and uh, be forgiven, mm. and then he starts to lead that new life. Now there are some commentators that say, well, maybe he's describing what he's already been doing. Right, but because it doesn't, it doesn't use the future tense. But you mm. can use the present tense with the kind of future in mind. Right. This is what I'm going to do, basically. Right, and I think that's the way we have to read this. Right. Um. So one of the, uh, but but I mean, it would be it would be easy to slip into kind of a legalism here and say, well, I mean, in the next sentence, Jesus is going to say salvation has come to this house, and it's bound to be the consequence of the fact that this man is now going to do start doing good things. But I think Luke 7, uh, the story of the, the, the sinful woman, um, is a really instructive one to, to bring in here. So in that one, the woman, of course, you know, comes and she anoints Jesus, right? And, and is weeping at his feet and wipes up the tears, you know, cleans his feet with her right. tears. And, and, um, and so Jesus concludes that narrative by saying, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this even who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Mm-hmm. So we see then that the love that the woman showed for Jesus is out of appreciation for the fact that he had forgiven her. He absolves her again. And then he affirms that it's not her works of love that have saved her. Those are a consequence of the love that she's been shown by Jesus, and then she departs in peace. I think that that's exactly what's happening here with Zacchaeus. Okay. So, yeah, the the giving of his goods here to the poor, restoring fourfold of what he's defrauded, is what we might call a fruit of his, mm-hmm. of his yep. faith, a response of love because of the forgiveness that he's already seen. So, like with the—I mean, Jesus, in that text from Luke 7, he tells a parable to the Pharisee there— you know, of uh, the one who has the greater debt forgiven mm-hmm. shows then the greater love. Right. This is Zacchaeus recognizing the great debt of his own sin mm-hmm. that's been forgiven and now responding with a similar love. Exactly. And, you know, we have in John the Baptist preaching and then also in Paul in, in Acts 22, I believe, where he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So these are those, those fruits. Now, if you wanted to, like, look at the actual examples of what sort of repentance you, you actually have in John's preaching from Luke chapter 3... Um, an example. So the crowds ask him, what should we do? He says, whoever has two tunics shares with whoever has none, whoever has food to do likewise. Tax collectors came to be baptized. That's why I brought up earlier that I don't want to rule out the possibility that Zacchaeus had been one of those tax collectors who had actually heard John the Baptist preaching. And and, and then also, what what did John the Baptist preach after Jesus' baptism? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, you know, we're not talking about a huge geographical area here, and word traveled sure. fast. So I think that it, you know, there's a very real possibility that Zacchaeus had already been influenced to some extent by John's preaching and maybe by Jesus' disciples' preaching, because in Luke 10, you know, the, the 72 had gone out right. all over. So um, anyway, so what should tax collectors do? Collect no more than you're authorized to. Okay, well he's cut to the heart by the law here, right? 
Because he's obviously, if I've defrauded anyone, which seems likely, I restore it fourfold, right? And then he also takes the teaching about sharing with the poor. So Zacchaeus essentially becomes uh, an example of one who's converted and then bears those good fruits, keeping with repentance. Hmm. What about this matter of the restoring it fourfold? Is there any significance to restoring? I mean, he defrauded, so he's going to give it back times four. Is that... Yeah, I mean, I don't know that we can prove that there's an Old Testament background to this, but there is definitely a mention of fourfold restoration in the Old Testament. So and, um, the first one is in Exodus 22. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Okay. So there's that, but the, the more intriguing one to me is actually in 2 Samuel 12, when, Jesus, when uh, Nathan tells this parable to David about you know what he had essentially done to Uriah, Right and 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 he tells about this this little sheep that this man had been raising, and then the rich man takes it and kills it, and David is incensed at that, right? And he says he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So, I just like the fact that the fourfold restoration, um, connecting it to the Old Testament, brings us to that law and gospel, real life parable that was enacted by by David. Right. In terms of what Zacchaeus does here, you know, the half of my goods I give to the poor mm-hmm. and then restoring things fourfold. Yeah, you mentioned earlier trying to, we want to avoid legalism when it comes to this. But, but how much of, of what Zacchaeus does as a response to the Lord's love here is an example that we should, you know, like when I become a Christian, give away half of my stuff. <laughs> I mean, you, know, you see what I'm asking? Yeah. Like how much of, of Zacchaeus' response to the gospel do we want to take as as an example, or in what way should we take it as an example? Maybe that's a better question. Yeah, I mean, I think that it you really get into some some dangerous ground when you try try taking specific examples of what people did in the New Testament and then maybe codifying them or even holding them up as you know an ideal example. So you think about the woman at the um, at the temple who puts in her last two mites, right. um, which I think she's really kind of a an image of Jesus who puts in everything, right? But I mean, she, you know, she's the one that Jesus holds up at the model as the model, right. and and the rich ruler in the previous chapter is one who's supposed to sell everything he has and give it to the poor. So to try to push those things into some sort of pragmatic, you know, life goal or something like that is is not the right approach. Instead, what we need to recognize is that Zacchaeus receives Jesus joyfully, and it is that joy and appreciation for what Jesus has done that moves him to make this decision of how he's going to dispose of his assets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in Acts chapter chapter 2 and following, we see that, that all the Christians had everything in common. Um, so, you know, are we supposed to then have a commune uh, in the Christian church? Um, you know, there are some socialists who take that as kind of like a, a, a model. And, and so I, I think that uh, we always need to let the gospel drive are giving. And that's why in the New Testament, it just doesn't flat out say 10% off the top tithe, right? right? right. Um, it's not, that's not a bad place to start, I'd say, but right. I, I don't think we should approach any of these sort of things legalistically. But I appreciate the fact, you know, the way you brought out, and I'd never made this connection before of what Jesus said to the rich young man about selling everything in that case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Here's Zacchaeus voluntarily sells half and yeah. Jesus doesn't come back and say, what about the other half, buddy? Well, yeah, in 2 Corinthians, I mean, Paul says whatever each one has decided in his own heart, that's what he's to do. Yeah. So our stewardship is not a matter of checking thing, you know, checking off boxes. It's a matter of um, 
How, how has the Lord blessed me? What are my responsibilities? I mean, I have seven kids. You have five kids. You know, right. I mean, if we were to, to take some of these examples as legalistic, well, I'm, I, I need to do this giving it all away. I mean, my kids might starve. Right. So I think that the, the Lord is merciful and he doesn't want us to take, uh, he doesn't want to look at, look, look at stewardship as a burden, right. but rather as a gift. And, and we can bless others through whatever we can do. Yeah, yeah. And and Jesus' response again to Zacchaeus here is not legalistic at all, but as you said, a reiteration of the absolution he's already received, much like you get in Luke chapter 7. So the, the way Jesus phrases it here, today salvation has come to this house since he also was the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. A lot of talk, lots to talk about here. Today, mm-hmm. salvation has come to this house. Just that first phrase, Pastor Roth. Yeah, I mean, I, there are a couple of verses that came to mind when, when I came across this. And so the first one is the thief on the cross, yeah. right? Lord, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you today, yeah. you will be with me in paradise. And when our last hour draws near, that's exactly what he's saying to to each yeah. of us. Yeah. Well, and, and Christmas night too, the the angels to the shepherds today mm-hmm. in the city of David is born yeah. for you a savior. And you yeah. have the language of savior there too. So, and you, you mentioned this earlier, salvation has come to this yeah. house. We should understand the that's because- The name Jesus, right? He shall save his people from their sins. Right. Yeah. So because Jesus is there, uh-huh. salvation is there, yeah. which again, I think ties into what we were saying earlier about, you know, Jesus must come to Zacchaeus's mm-hmm. house. So he must come to us. Why? To bring his salvation exactly. to us. Yeah. And now why? Because he is a son of Abraham. We haven't really talked about this too much, but is Zacchaeus physically a son of Abraham? Is Can he trace his lineage back to Abraham? Or is that kind of beside the point here? I mean, I think that it it seems likely, but I guess we can't prove it. Right. But it does it does seem likely he does have a Hebrew name. Um, but it doesn't matter, right? I mean, back in Luke three, John the Baptist had preached that, you know, these Pharisees thought that they're sons of Abraham because, you know, they're obedient to the law, but God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones, right? Um, so what matters is that he becomes an, a, a son of Abraham in the sense that Abraham is the father of the faithful. Right. So he truly is a son of yes. Abraham in the in the real sense of that term. That's exactly right. As as Saint Paul lays out in his epistles in variety yes. of places. In Galatians three, Romans four, most notably, I'd say. Yeah. Um, know then Galatians three that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. Before just briefly, this, I, I skipped over this with the word today. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's significant language. The fact that we were talking about this earlier with the urgency of Jesus and the necessity of Jesus. Now. If, if Zacchaeus doesn't receive Jesus today, then when when will he receive him? Yeah. And the fact that Jesus does come today, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's what we have is today, right? Tomorrow actually never comes, as right. Garth, Brook, Garth Brooks reminds us, right? <laughs> so yeah, today, the fact, and this is, this is key language elsewhere in the scriptures about the day of salvation. Yeah, St. Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, um, he says, uh, God says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And he had said in the f- verse before that, uh, that that day is the one of receiving the grace of God. Yeah. Not law, but grace. Right, right. And it's, I mean, that's what Psalm 95 uses that language as well. And I think mm-hmm. the writer of Hebrews brings that up. Hebrews, that, you know, yep. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden don't your harden hearts. Don't harden your hearts, exactly. Here is Zacchaeus not hardening his heart, receiving the salvation as a son of Abraham. And then you get this, this key language from verse 10. 
perhaps even a you know, if Jesus had a mission statement, I don't yeah. know, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Yeah, my, my vicarage supervisor, he has underneath of his um, signatures on his emails, um, for the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for the many. And so I didn't want to just copy him. And so <laughs> instead, I put this one in. I was going to ask you why that was. I, I noticed that was your signature yes, line. So what, yes, I mean, yes. why is this so significant? Well, the, you know, we are lost and condemned sinners. And so it, to me, this phrase encapsulates everything. I mean, if you, if you combine the two verses that I just mentioned, right, yeah. and to give his life as a ransom for the masses with this one, you know, those are the two uh, to the most beautiful expressions of the gospel, of the mission of Jesus, and then also the mission of the church. Right. So that's that's the reason I, I have it in my emails. Yeah, yeah, to seek and to save the yeah, lost. Yeah, and, and it, it takes the emphasis off us. It doesn't say that we're seekers. Right. It doesn't say that we can, you know, I mean, I once was lost, but now I'm found, right? I mean, a lost person, you know, doesn't find his own way out. Right. He, the lost sheep doesn't find his way back. He needs to be found. And so... So that's that's why you know this is a perfect expression of the gospel that we are lost and condemned creatures but we've been redeemed by the holy precious blood of of Jesus and the holy spirit has called gathered enlightened and sanctified us. Yeah, yeah. I mean and here's that we mentioned this earlier Zacchaeus was seeking which is commendable but all along what mm-hmm. was going on Jesus was seeking yes. Zacchaeus. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and what a, what a beautiful gospel message. We got about Minute and a half here, Pastor Roth. Help us to, to wrap this text up from Zacchaeus, the wee little man. Give us the good news. <laughs> well, I did want to highlight that, um, you know, we do see Jesus as the Son of Man here. We referred to, you know, mentioned that that's a divine title for him. And this ties nicely back in with Ezekiel 34. Thus says the Lord, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. So, so the Lord is the Son of Man. This is a reference then again to the, to the divine nature of Jesus, but he comes in such humility and with such purpose to the, the house of this sinful man Zacchaeus, this despised man Zacchaeus, and um, re- reveals to him through the gospel where true joy may be found. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Pastor Carl Roth is pastor at Grace Lutheran Church in Elgin, Texas, helping us today with Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Pastor Roth, thanks for being our guest today. It's my pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Luke chapter 19 or any of the gospel according to St. Luke, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.